All right, uh, so this is the first night of our answers in August for, for this year. And the topic this year is, uh, what do we believe about hell? What does the Bible teach about hell? That's a pretty, pretty heavy topic, right? Um, lots, of, lots of people today, lots of Christians today, believers today, churches today, um, are, are kind of embarrassed to talk about or even think about or even uh, admit anything about the doctrine of hell, right? There's a book that I read several years ago and uh, pulled, it, pulled it back off the shelf this, this last couple of weeks and was looking through it again. Uh, and it's called Hell Under Fire is the name of the book. And it's a, it's a book about hell, uh, but it's called, they, the author picked that title, Hell Under Fire, because uh, he's saying the doctrine of hell is, is so um, hard to talk about these days. People don't want to talk about it. People don't want to think about it. Uh, but, but, but we do. We, we want to, and, and, and we're going to. Uh, sometimes churches avoid it altogether. Uh, there are churches who kind of, kind of in, embrace it and, and lean into it is the phrase, kind of the common phrase people use today is. They lean into it and embrace it and, 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 and almost even seem to love it and kind of want to take joy in, um, in, in this doctrine. They preach about hell and brimstone and uh, almost like a maniacal kind of joy they find in thinking about judgment coming on certain people or, or maybe certain kinds of people, right? Kind of reminds me of the Pharisees. That's kind of one extreme. Uh, the other extreme that I've, that I've said is, is those who, who never want to talk about it at all. And we don't want to fall into either one of those extremes, right? We don't want to, we don't want to shy away from, from, from this doctrine. We don't want to shy away from something that, that the Bible says is true. Um, but we also don't want to get it out of proportion. Uh, we, we want to try to teach exactly what the Bible says and, and in the way the Bible teaches it. And this is one of the, just kind of an aside, this is one of the really good things about expository preaching, uh, the, the type of preaching that we do here, where we'll pick a book of the Bible and we'll just preach from the very beginning to the very end of that book. Um, and so we're not on a Sunday morning trying to figure out what am I going to preach about this week. Uh, and, and, and so we end up just preaching about things that, that, um, that come to mind so that we might be heavy on one topic and, and really light on another topic. We just preach through books of the Bible, and, and so whenever it comes up, we preach it. Uh, we don't preach it more than it's in the Bible. We don't preach it less than it's in the Bible. Just when it comes up, we preach and teach what it says. Okay? Um, so we don't want to take pleasure or joy, of course, in someone else's uh, punishment or judgment or misfortune or, or anything like that. But there is a real sense where we as believers, we do want to take comfort uh, in, in justice being done. And we do want to take comfort in, in the fact that God is, is going to vindicate himself and God's going to vindicate his rule and God's going to uh, bring justice uh, to the world. Okay? Uh, so what we want to talk about tonight is uh, we want to talk about a couple of, of views that are, that are kind of outside the bounds uh, that, that, that we would say are, are not true and are not biblical and would be outside of, of, of what we would think the Bible teaches. Um, and then we want to look at what the Bible says uh, very briefly tonight, uh, see what the, what the Old Testament says about death and hell, what the New Testament says about death and hell, and, and then have kind of a conclusion of here are one or two positions that we think are, uh, are within the Bible that, that, that we can believe as, as church members here. Okay, so, so first of all, there's some views that we think are, are bad, think they are not biblical. And so one of, the, one of those views um, 
is just that there's no such thing as hell, right? The Bible's wrong. There's no such thing as hell. If God is a loving God, then he would never uh, punish people for their sins. And so hell doesn't exist. It's not true. Um, you know, the Bible is not, not 100% true. And so the verses, the passages that talk about hell, either we just kind of write them off altogether and say they were added later, they weren't original or something like that. Or uh, we might say there's some kind of not really going to be an eternal everlasting punishment. Okay, we would say, I think we would all agree that that position is, is outside the bounds of, of what we think the Bible teaches. Um, another view is the purgatorial view, right, purgatory. And so this view says that, that hell is real and that hell really is punishment, but it's only temporary. It's not everlasting. And so someone dies in their, in their sins, and so they, are, uh, they go to hell and they're punished for their sins. And once, uh, once that punishment is, is fulfilled, once they've suffered all the punishment for all their sins, then now they're allowed to leave hell and go in, into heaven, okay? And, and we would say that that's not, that that's not right um, either. People must pay their own debt to their, to their sin that's, that, that's left over before they die, and then once that's paid off, then they could go to, um, to heaven. Okay? And people that, that believe this view, they say that hell is, is conditional, right? It's conditioned on the amount of sins that someone has, and it's conditioned on the nature of sins that someone has, right? So someone who dies with a lot of sins and a lot of really bad sins, then they're going to be in hell for a long time. But somebody that, that we would judge to be not so bad, right? And so they die with fewer sins and maybe not as bad sins as far as kind of the way the world judges, then, then they would still go to hell for those sins, but only for a shorter time until those sins are paid off, and then they would go to heaven, okay? And we would say, no, that, that, that's not right. That's not right at all. The Bible says that we die, and there's a judgment, and there's no moving back and forth. Uh, the Bible says the only way that our sins can be paid for, the only way that our debt can be paid is through the blood of Jesus, not through our own works or our own suffering or anything like that at all. Um, and so we would say that this view is outside the bounds as well. A third view is uh, a view called annihilationism. Okay, that's a big word, annihilationism. Um, but but that, that means that we're annihilated, right? Whenever, whenever someone dies, they just cease to exist. They go out of, out of existence. Um, and, and there's a couple, couple different types of annihilationism. So the first one is kind of absolute annihilationism. And this is when people die um, or at the judgment, unsaved people just completely stop existing. Their consciences are, are, are no longer. There's, there's nothing left of them. Um, they just go out of existence, right? Um, another form of annihilationism is conditional annihilationism, and this is similar to what we talked about with purgatory before, except it's kind of the opposite in, in some ways. So just like with purgatory, the people are punished based on the amount of sin they have and how, how bad their sin is. Um, right, and so, so, so some people are in hell for longer, some people are in, in hell for not as long, depending on how bad the sin. End of that punishment, instead of going to heaven, then you're just going to not existing. So you still pay for your sins, uh, but once your sins are paid for, then you stop existing. Okay, we would say that all four, or all three, or or four, depending on if you count annihilation as, as one or two. All three or four of those positions, we would say, are outside the Bible, not what the Bible teaches at all. Um, and if someone holds e any of those positions, we would say that they're, that they're wrong, um, and that's not what the Bible teaches. Okay? Now, we want to look at what the Bible teaches uh, just, just very briefly tonight. We're going to talk more about it next week and, and, and then the, the week after. 
Um, but we want to look at the Old Testament, and then we want to look at the, at the New Testament. Okay? And so first of all, I want to talk about this concept called progressive revelation. I don't know if you've ever heard, ever heard of that concept before, but progressive revelation, revelation is God revealing himself to his creation, right, to his people. And he does that in creation. Romans 1 says that we can look at creation and we can see certain things about, about God, uh, but he also does that in his word. And sometimes those are called uh, natural revelation and, and, and special revelation or, or, or different distinctions like that. Uh, but God reveals himself in his word. However, when we, when we look at the Bible, God doesn't reveal himself all at once, right? He doesn't reveal himself all at once. He, uh, he unfolds information about himself over time. He unfolds information about his plan over time. And so, for example, when you read in Genesis chapter 12, where God called Abraham and said, I'm going to make you this great nation. Abraham didn't know, actually it was Abram then, Abram didn't know how that was going to happen, right? So later in, in chapter 15, Abram says, hey God, you said you're going to make me this great nation, but I just remembered I'm 100 years old and I don't have any kids. Uh, my, in fact, the person that's going to inherit my, 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 everything that I own when I die is uh, one of my servant's kids. But you said you're going to make me this great nation, you know, what's going on with that? And so God says, no, you are going to have a kid. And he said, you're going to have a bunch of kids. Look at the stars, look at the sand. Uh, as many stars there are in the sky, as many uh, kernels of sand there is on the, on, the, on the desert, that's how many kids you're going to have. And you're going to start with one kid. Your wife's going to become pregnant. So in Genesis 12, God gave him some information. I'm going to make you a great nation. In chapter 15, he gave him more information, more details, right, of how that's going to happen. And, and that's a kind of a small example, but this happens over, uh, over the course of the Bible. Where the, the farther we get into the Bible historically, uh, the, the, the more we know, the more information we have, okay? So if we start at the Old Testament, there's not a whole lot of information in the Old Testament about, about hell. Um, the Old Testament doesn't really talk much about hell at all. Um, the Old Testament does talk about a place called Sheol, right? S-H-E-O-L, Sheol. Um, but Sheol is not necessarily a place of punishment. It's just kind of the place of the dead. It's where you go when you die. And people that are righteous go there, and people that are, that are unrighteous go there, okay? Some other ways that, that this, this place is talked about, some other words that are used uh, in the Old Testament, sometimes uh, people are talked about just going to their grave. Uh, sometimes they go to the pit. Sometimes they'll go to the trap. Sometimes they'll just go to the earth, right? Dust to dust. You've heard of that before? Um, or, or sometimes they'll just go to death or to the, to the place of death. Okay? But both righteous people and unrighteous people uh, go to Sheol when they die. And it's not a place of punishment. It's not a place of reward, either one. Um, but there, are some, there is some consciousness of different statuses in, in Sheol in the Old Testament. And so people that are followers of God, people that are not followers of God, they have different, different statuses in, in Sheol. Okay? So there is some recognition of that, even though it's not a place of reward, not a place of punishment, and, and everyone um, ends up there when they die. So let's look at a few, few passages. Again, we're not going to look at a whole lot today. Uh, we just want to kind of get a general, general feel. Genesis chapter 37 We're going to look at the end of end of uh, end of the chapter. This is the chapter uh, talking about Joseph dying. So remember, Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, and then Jacob had the twelve sons uh, that became the twelve tribes of Israel. Uh, and one of his sons was Joseph. Uh, 
And remember the story about Joseph? He had the dreams and the older brothers were going to worship him. He was the youngest brother. The older brothers were going to bow down and serve him as, as king. Um, and they didn't like him. They, they didn't like that. They didn't like that their, their dad favored him. And so they had him killed. They, they took him out in the desert and they, uh, they faked his death. And they took the, the coat back to their dad's uh, soaked in animal blood. And they said, an animal killed our son um, or killed your son, killed our brother. Uh, and then he was sold off into, into slavery to Egypt. So in chapter 37 here at the end, in, in verse 35, this is when Jacob finds out that his son Joseph has been killed, right? He hasn't really been killed, but they trick him into thinking so. Verse 35 says, Then all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, Surely I will go down to Sheol in mourning for my son. So his father wept for him. Okay, so, Jake, so Jacob is, is mourning over Joseph, weeping over Joseph, and he's saying, surely I will go to Sheol, um, surely I will go down to Sheol in mourning. And so what he's saying is, I'm going to be mourning my son until I die. I'm never going to get over this. I'll be mourning him until the day I die. Even when I go down to Sheol, to the place of the dead, even, even when I die, I'll still be mourning my son. Okay, so, so going to Sheol can just be a substitute for, for dying, because that's just the place of the dead. Okay? Now, I, I, said, uh, I said that the Old Testament doesn't say a whole lot about hell, and, and it doesn't, but I did say there's this idea of progressive revelation, right? So as we get toward the end of the Old Testament, there's some, some other ideas are starting, starting to come in. Okay? So let's look at two other places in the Old Testament. The first one, turn to Psalm 49. Psalm 49. We're going to read two verses, Psalm 49, verses 14 and 15. Okay, so verse 14 says, As sheep they are appointed for Sheol, death shall be their shepherd. Okay, so again, they're, they're dying, they're going to this place called Sheol, the place of the dead, they're going to Sheol. As sheep, they're appointed for Sheol, death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning, and their form shall be for Sheol to consume, so that they have no habitation. Listen to verse 15, though. But God will redeem my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Okay, so now here there's a, there's a, a concept, an idea that, yes, when I die, I'll go to Sheol. That's the, that's the place of death, just like I'm going to the grave when I die. But I'm not going to stay there forever. God's going to redeem my soul. See that? God's going to redeem my soul from the power of Sheol. And so he doesn't come out and say resurrection because it's not the body coming back to life, right? It's not a bodily resurrection. But he does say there's going to be a future for my soul. And God's going to redeem my soul out of Sheol. So he's saying that death is not the final say. Death doesn't have the final say. And then one other place in the Old Testament that's even more clear is the prophet Daniel. So if you turn toward the end of the Old Testament, Daniel is right after Ezekiel, right before Hosea, and turn to Daniel chapter 12, the end of the book. Okay. 
Okay, we're going to read the first three verses. Daniel chapter 12, the first three verses. Say, now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Many of those, verse 2, many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. These to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. So here Daniel, the prophet Daniel has a concept, God's, God's revealing this to him, that yes, when you die, you're going to go to the place of death, you're going to go to Sheol, you're going to go to the grave, but that's not the end. He says that there's going to come a time when you will arise. Not only that, but he, he says that uh, they're going to awake, those who sleep in the ground will awake, some to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Okay, so now Daniel's saying, God's revealing through Daniel that, yes, when you die, you're going to be dead. You're going to go to the grave, right? You're going to uh, go, sometimes it's said in the Old Testament, you're going to go to your father's, go to the tomb where your father's bones are. But so when you die, you're going to die. But now Daniel's saying, yeah, but that's not the end of it. There's something else coming after that, right? Psalm 49 already said, my, my soul's going to be rescued from, from Sheol. Daniel now even goes further and says, not only my soul's going to be rescued, but these people are going to awake and they're going to arise and they're going to come, come back to life, right? It says some of them will, be, will go to everlasting, um, everlasting life and some of them to disgrace and everlasting contempt. So you have a few things going on here in Daniel that we didn't see earlier in the Old Testament. You've got, first of all, death is not the end. There's something that's coming after death. Second of all, uh, there's going to be a, a resurrection. Third of all, there's going to be a separation based on, uh, based on righteousness or unrighteousness. And then third of all, uh, this separation is going to be eternal. It's going to be everlasting. Some to everlasting life, some to everlasting uh, Contempt. Okay? So in the Bible, in the Old Testament, we get this concept of death. When people die, they die. Uh, they go down to their grave. Um, but as God continues revealing himself to his people, we come to see, yes, they die, they go to their grave. But there's going to be a day when people are going to come back to life. People are going to be raised from the dead. And there will be a judgment. Okay? Now, it doesn't give us all the details, right? It doesn't go into, uh, you know, give us this full picture. But, but we see it there. We see it hinted at there. Okay? So that's, that's kind of how this idea develops over the course of the Old Testament. And there's lots of other passages that we could read, but, but we're not going to for tonight for time, okay? Now let's look at the New Testament. Remember, progressive revelation, right? God's revealing himself more and more over time, and he's building on what has come before. So think about Jesus, right? God made promises in the Old Testament that, that he was, uh, the woman was going to have a son and, and that uh, and that he was going to use this son to crush the head of the serpent. And then he talks about Abraham having uh, many descendants. And one of his descendants is going to bless all the nations. And then uh, Isaiah talks about how the son of man is going to come. And, and, uh, and, and, and the suffering servant is going to come. And how, God, how he's going to save his people from his sins. And so we learn more and more and more about this one. And then the New Testament comes and we see Jesus. And so in the Old Testament, we're promised God's going to send someone. God's going to send someone. He's going to save his people. He's going to undo sin. We don't know who it is. We don't know uh, what his name's going to be. 
In the New Testament, now we're revealed who he is, what his name is, some other things about him. And, and that's how God's revelation works. And, and the same thing about this concept of hell. So let's look at, look at Matthew chapter 5. Okay? This is the famous Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached. And it's interesting what, what, what Jesus is going to do here. In chapter 5, several times, we'll look at two of them. Uh, look at verse 22. We'll look at, we'll start in 21. Verse 21 says, You have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder, and whoever does commit murder shall be liable to the court. Verse 22, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the courts. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Out of nowhere now, Jesus is talking about hell, right? He doesn't explain what it is, doesn't explain uh, what happens there, doesn't explain how you, he doesn't explain how you go there in one instance here, uh, but, but he just mentions it. He just says there's this place called hell. Okay, again, in, in, in verses 29 and 30, if your right hand makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Okay, so now there's this place called hell and, it, and it's, it's bad to go there, right? It'd be worse to cut off your hand than for your whole body to be thrown there. Um, it's fiery, he says in verse 22. So we're getting some information about it now. It's a bad place, you don't wanna go there. You're thrown there, so it's not some place you go uh, on purpose, not some place you choose to go, not some place you walk to yourself. It's a place that you're sent to, you're thrown there, and it's in consequence of your bad actions, your negative actions, right? Okay, well, let's, let, let's learn a little bit more about it, hear a little bit more about it. Turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, we'll read verse 5. We'll start in verse 4. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. Verse 5, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Okay, so now we know hell's fiery. You don't want to go there. It's better to have your hand cut off than for your whole body to go there. You go there because of a consequence of your actions. You're thrown there. And, and now we're told that God is the one that sends you there. Okay, and we should, we should fear that. We should fear God sending us there. All right, now look at Mark chapter 9. We'll start in verse 43. Mark 9, 43. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than having your two hands to go into hell, into the unquenchable fire. Now, this is the, the same thing that Jesus was, was saying in Matthew, right? But now we have a little bit more information. Now it's an unquenchable fire. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 44. Where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than having your two feet to be cast into hell. 
Similar thing there, right? Different than the hand, now it's the foot and, and being lame. But, but look what's added here also in this verse. There's a contrast now between hell and life, right? He says it's better uh, if your foot causes you to stumble, verse 45, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than having your two feet to be cast into hell. So there's some life that we're going to enter, and it's better to, to, to enter that life lame than to enter hell with two feet. Uh, verse 47, if your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell. And verse 48 says, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Okay, so now we know something else about hell. In Mark, Jesus tells us not only is hell fiery, not only is it a place that you don't want to go, not only, only is it a place that, that you're thrown and God's the one that throws you there, not only is it a place that you go um, in consequence of, of, of bad actions or dis disobedience, but now he tells us it's everlasting. Right? He says the, the fire is not quenched, the worm does not die, and the fire is not quenched. So it's this everlasting torment. Paul talks about hell as well, not as much as, as Jesus does, uh, but he does some. And so let's look at one of his passages. It's in 2 Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, starting in verse 6. He says, for after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well. When the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution for those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, okay? So now we got a little bit more information about hell. It's gonna happen at the end of time, right? God's gonna bring judgment. He's gonna bring judgment against those who have, uh, who have afflicted his people. He's gonna bring judgment about, against those who have, um, who have, uh, who did not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, okay? And this, this penalty is going to be eternal destruction. So again, it's going to be eternal. It's going to be everlasting. It's going to be destruction now it's called. And it's going to be away from the presence of the Lord and his glory and power. Okay, so we're getting a little bit more information about what hell's going to be like. Not only is it going to be bad physically, not only is there going to be fire, unquenchable fire, not only is there going to be worms that don't die, but now it's going to be separation from God as well. Okay, one, one last passage, Revelation chapter 14. Chapter 14, starting in verse 9. It says, Then another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image, and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire 
and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night. Those who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. And so again, it's going to be everlasting. Right? Again, there's mention of fire, smoke. But also here there's mention of God's wrath. Okay, so it's not just going to be a physical thing. It's not just going to be the heat of, of the fire, not just going to be the, 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 um, the worms that don't die, but now it's also going to be the wrath of God that's, that's poured out. Right? It says in full strength, undiluted, the full strength of the wrath of God. Sounds pretty bad, right? So here's what I want us to, to do tonight, kind of close tonight. We'll have time for a few questions um, if you have some. So tonight, that's all I want to talk about tonight is just show that the Bible teaches that there is a hell and teaches us some things about it, okay? Now next week we're gonna go into more detail of, about what hell is like and different descriptions we get from hell. Um, and then the next week we'll talk more, more about what we believe about hell and then we'll have questions and answer the, the fourth week. But I just wanted to establish that those early views we talked about, annihilationism, where people just stop existing either right after death or after some form of punishment. Um, the, the, the idea of purgatory, where you're punished for a short amount of time or, or at least a, uh, um, not an eternal amount of time. And then once that's over, then you're able to go into, into heaven. That's outside the, the, the biblical views. Um, and obviously just the, the fact that there, that there is no hell, uh, the view that there is no hell is outside the, the biblical view as well. Okay. So what's inside the biblical view? Well, as far as what we've looked at so far and seen so far, um, two things for sure. Okay, number one, hell is everlasting and conscious. I guess that's two things, right? So three things total. One, hell is everlasting. It's not, it's not temporary, right? There's no point where you come to the end of it and either stop existing or, or transition into heaven. Hell is everlasting. It's everlasting punishment. Hell is conscious, right? The people that are in hell are conscious, I should say. It's not that people, uh, you know, lose, lose consciousness, but you're, you're able to experience what's happening there, right? You're aware of the fire, you're aware of the smoke, you're aware of the, of the worms that, that don't end. Uh, and, then, and then third of all, hell is a punishment or consequence for sin. Hell is a punishment consequence for sin. And then fourth of all, I, I'll add a fourth one. Fourth of all, this punishment is given out by God. This punishment is given out by God. Okay, so we're, hell's everlasting. People that are there are conscious. Uh, hell is a punishment or consequences for sin. And God is the one who gives this punishment. Okay? Now within that, there are a couple different, different views that people can hold. Okay? And we'll talk about these more as we go along in the next couple of weeks as well. But as long as you, as long as you believe those four things, then there's a, there, there's a couple different views. So some people take those four things and they go and they say, we believe the Bible is literal. It, it says what it means and it means what it says. And so when the Bible says there's fire, that means there's going to be fire. When the Bible says there's a, there's a, there's a worm, that means there are going to be worms there, right? When the Bible says the smoke's going to go up, that means you're going to be able to see smoke go up. That those things are literally true, okay? 
Other people look at those same passages and they say, no, we believe that. We believe that that's absolutely true, right? We believe that hell is everlasting and conscious, that it's punishment, consequences for sin, that God's the one that gives out the punishment. But when we look at these descriptions of hell in the Bible and it says fire and it says smoke and it says worms and these other things, those are not necessarily literal descriptions of hell. Those are metaphorical descriptions of hell, right? So fire is really bad, right? And so fire represents something that's going to be really bad, but it's not necessarily a literal fire that you're burning up in, okay? And worms that do not die, that represents something really, really bad, uh, but it's not necessarily literally worms that are going to be eating your body up for eternity, okay? And, and I think as long as we believe those four things, that it's, it's everlasting, conscious, it's punishment for sin, uh, and it's punishment that's given out by God, as long as we agree to those four things, then we can have some discussions about what is it really going to look like? What's it really going to be like? Um, is it really going to be literal fire or is it going to be metaphor? Is that metaphor for something else that's, that's, um, uh, that's, that's uh, some type of, um, uh, what is it that armies do to people? Torture? It's like some kind of like really, really bad stuff that's happening. The, the worm, is it really a worm that's going to be eating you or is it something symbolic? of something really bad. We can have some discussions about that, and we will over the next, next few weeks, okay? All right, uh, we're gonna have a lot of questions on that last week. Uh, hopefully you all are praying that I get a visa so I'll be in Africa that week, so Pastor Josh and Jake and Matt can answer all those questions for you. Uh, but we'll have a, have a big full week of nothing but questions, uh, but we have a few minutes if you have any questions tonight over just what we talked about tonight. Yes, ma'am. Yep. Yeah, that's a really, really good question. So Jesus says, you're absent from the body, you're present from the Lord. What about the Old Testament talks about Sheol? Uh, and so you're in this place of the dead. Pastor Jake, are you trying to answer that question or ask an even harder point to that question? Yeah, that's what I was doing. Yeah, her. Yeah, her, her question. Yeah, her question was. Her question was the Old Testament talks about Sheol, this place of the dead. How does that relate to what Jesus says in the New Testament that when you're absent from the body, you're present with the Lord? Okay, but I don't know if you said Jesus said that. I think Paul said that. Yeah, in the New Testament, and when you're absent from the body, you're present with the Lord. Yep, and Jesus said the thief on the cross would be with him that day in paradise. Uh, that's a really good question. I'm looking forward to hearing what, uh, what the other pastors say about it uh, on, uh, on live stream or video. Um, I, don't, I honestly don't know how I would answer that question right now off the top of my head. I, uh, I think I have a thought that... Um, Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't know how I would answer that question, to be honest with you, right now off the top of my head. There's, there's a view called soul sleep, that when you die, you're, you go to the grave and your soul goes to sleep, and so you're basically unconscious until Jesus comes back to life, and, or when Jesus uh, resurrects the dead or the dead come back to life, and then you kind of wake up, and so to your experience, as soon as you died, you went to sleep, as soon as Jesus come back, you woke up, and so for your experience, there was no gap. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like that explanation, uh, but that's, that's one attempt to explain it. Josh, you want to say something? I think your point on progressive revelation answers that mostly. Um, Sheol is the place of the dead. Sheol is the place of the dead. Yeah. 
That's true. That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's a good point. Did y'all hear that? The, the, the idea about Sheol in the Old Testament, that's what they knew, but that wasn't everything. That's, that's just all that God had revealed to them at that, at that point in time, right? And so that, so, uh, yeah, I think that's good, the progressive nature of Revelation. It's kind of like when you're a kid in school and you're in first grade or whatever, you're, you're learning how to subtract for the first time, uh, and you have a smart aleck in the class that, you know, you're, you're trying to subtract like 10 minus 5, and you have a smart aleck in the class that says, what, is, what about 5 minus 10, right? And, but you're in first grade, so you can't understand negative numbers at all. And so the teacher says, oh, well, you can't subtract a bigger number from a smaller number, right? Well, that's, you can, you, you just haven't been, that hasn't been explained to you yet, that hasn't been told to you yet. You, have, you haven't learned that part yet, right? So you just have the limited knowledge that, that you have. Yeah. I see you're not happy with that. <laughs> so. yeah. yeah that was yeah I, I think that absolutely was true and I think that was the, that was true to their experience yeah God was explaining how they experienced life and that's exactly how they experienced it yeah lots of questions up now Matt you want to add to that Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, we'll we'll write that. Yep, yeah, we'll write that question down and we'll we'll address it on the twenty eighth. Yep. Uh, somebody else had their had their hand up. Yep, Sarah. Yeah, so Revelation 14 says that they, they will be, uh, the punishment will be in the presence of the Lamb, right? But if hell is separation from God, then how can it be in the presence of, of the Lamb, okay? And so I think, I think the answer to that is that, uh, you know, sometimes we have this concept of hell as uh, Satan is in charge of hell. He's got the, the pitchfork and he's like the, the king of hell and, and he, he rules hell and God rules heaven. And, and that's not true at all, right? I think we know that. That's not true. God is God and Satan is not. And so just like we talked about this morning, Satan has a kind of a counterfeit kingdom that he's trying to, to perpetrate on people right now, but that's not a legitimate kingdom and he's not a, he's not a legitimate king. And so he, Satan will be punished in hell uh, with everyone else that's rebelled against God. So God is in charge of hell. Um, when it talks about being separated from God, um, it's talking about being separated from the relationship with God, right? And so you're not, you're not, uh, you're not having fellowship with God. You're not, um, you're not experiencing God's grace and mercy and love and forgiveness and kindness, right? Uh, you're separated from his goodness to you and, and his wrath is being poured out on you. Hopefully not on you on people that are in hell. Somebody else? Did you ever hear that, Drew? Uh, yep, Josh. Uh, Sarah, I, I would also say that that's one of those situations where you walk into 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't think so. Maybe, but I don't think so. I get nervous kind of trying to divide the Trinity up that way and yeah. Anything else? All right, well, thank y'all so much. Let me pray, and we will be dismissed for tonight. Father God, we thank you so much for, uh, for your word. God, we thank you even for your teaching us and, and revealing to us uh, your punishment for sinners. And God, I pray that that will be a motivation to us to, uh, to not sin, Father. It be a motivation to us to fight sin in our own lives and to, to flee from sin and, and, and repent uh, of our sins to you. And God, I pray that would also be a motivation to us uh, to preach your gospel and to, uh, to share the truth of what Jesus has done uh, to our friends, to our family, to our neighbors, to those that, that we come in contact with um, that, that don't know that and haven't accepted that and have not been forgiven of their sins. Uh, God, because we believe that hell is real and yet we don't rejoice in it and yet we do rejoice in you judging sin and you doing justice to injustices. God, we thank you so much for Jesus who has rescued us from our sins and has taken on our punishment for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.